because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from God's mouth, please open your Bible to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Jesus says on the Thursday night before he is crucified Friday morning to his disciples, I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Father, we know that this is the mark of a church. This is the mark of your disciples, that they love each other the way Jesus loved us. Sacrificially, humbly, boldly, truthfully, for your glory and for the good of their souls. So God, we ask that you'd help our church family to love each other in this way. Pray for those that you are adding to our church, even Sally, our newest member, that you'd empower her and empower us to love one another in this way. We pray that the church members we are sending out from here and transferring out to other churches, that they too will love one another in their new church families the way that they have done it here. Thank you, Father, for making us your people when we were rebels and sinners running away from you. Thank you that you so love the world that you gave your only son. That whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. And you've given us that faith as well. So we give you all the credit and all the glory. Help us now to understand your word and make it strengthen us as a church family. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, tonight what I wanted to do was, especially in light of um, our, our business meeting coming up uh, this next Sunday, uh, we, are gonna, we have a list of the members who have passed away. So, uh, just... Not, Oh, that's okay. No, you don't. No, you don't. Yeah. Um, so we have we have some lists of like the, the members who've you know the calling list, those who have passed away, those who we don't have the contact information for anymore. And so um, we'll give that li- we'll make that list available to you even this week. Um, actually, well, since Barbara brought up the idea, um, well, I think I think it might be worth considering. So if I could break maybe a little bit of formality here, just to get a feel from the church congregation here. The Los Angeles Southern Baptist Association, they move their annual meeting one week to October 17th. So um, we can move our meeting to October 12th. Well, I guess we could just keep it October 5th. That's probably better. Do you think, Jim? Yeah, let's just keep it where it is. Okay, so anyways, next week at our business meeting, um, we'll, we'll have that list for you. We'll even have it for you available throughout the week, and we could email it to some of the members who, who aren't here on Wednesday. Things like that. But but beyond that, here's the more important thing right now, is if you're a Christian and you're a member of this church, or just a member of any church, if you're visiting from another church, I wonder if you know from the Bible where it talks about church membership. If you're talking to another Christian in our church or outside of our church, and they said to you, where does it say in the Bible that Christians have to be members of a church? I wonder what verse you would take them to. I wonder how you would tell them that it's in the Bible. Last week at our Shepherd Los Angeles conference, we had a panel Q&A, and there was me and another uh, Southern Baptist church pastor up there, and then two other brothers there from, who are pastors from other churches. And in that Q&A, we talked about church membership. There were some questions from the pastors on, on membership. I was saying in my sermon that when a, when, a, when a member leaves this church, if you're, a, if you're going to be faithfully pastoring your church, you don't let members resign into thin air. 
you always make sure that they're transferred out into another church family and not just kind of missing. And so there are a lot of questions from the pastors on what membership is. And one of the pastors on the panel said, you know, the reason for membership or one of the key parts of it is um, for for 501c3 California Corporation purposes of voting. And that's why you have membership. Because to be a California corporation, if you're going to make a decision that's legally binding for the church, you have membership, which is true. But that's not the main reason we have membership. If you know anything about Baptist history, Baptist churches have had membership long before there were any codes and purposes for the state of California or any state or any country for that matter. So if you were looking in the Bible to find out where does the Bible teach church membership? Where would you go? And I want to open it up right now just to see. Any texts come to your mind? If Hebrews what? 9, 24, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. About not forsaking the, the assembling or the gathering of yourselves together. Yeah, okay. So encouraging each other all the more as you see the day drawing near. Good, that's one text. I have that here. Any other texts you would come, come up with? There might be. Do you have one in mind? No? Okay. You're asking me the question? Good. Um, any other texts that come to your mind? Matthew what? Who said Matthew? Someone back there said Matthew. Matthew what? Looking in your phone Bible, which is not as quick to turn as a paper Bible. Any other texts? Anyone? Anyone? All of you are members of a church. Should I have? Should I put John Lee on the spot and make him answer? John, do you have any texts? What? Acts two. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Yeah, Acts two forty seven. Okay. Give us something, John. You're a pastoral intern. You have to have some answer to this question. Matthew eighteen about um, tell it to the church in terms of church discipline. Yeah, Matthew eighteen. Anyone else? All right. Well, we have a lot to learn tonight, okay? So we have something to look forward to. Let's look at some Bible passages here. And, and um, what does it, why do we have to be members of a church? Is it really just the Baptist tradition? I want to argue it's not a, just the Baptist tradition. It's actually biblical, okay? Whether you have the Baptist tradition or not, we're not just, we're, as Baptists, we're not traditionalists. We are biblicists. We want to obey the Bible. So does the Bible teach church membership? And if so, where? It does. And I want to argue that love one another, what we just read, if you're going to love one another as Christ loved us, to love each other means we obey all of the Bible verses in our relationship with each other. Okay? Does that make sense? If I'm going to love Al, and if Al's going to love me, that means all of the Bible verses that apply to our relationship, we apply. That's how we love each other, right? If I start lying to Al, am I loving him? No, and I'm disobeying the Bible, right? So the way to love each other is to obey everything the Bible says about our relationship together. And what I want to argue is if you obey all of the passages of the Bible that say what our relationship is to each other as a church, you get church membership. Okay? So let me give you three categories, just in case you're taking notes of text. Three categories of texts. The first category is is edification. Now, edification is a big fancy word for what? Glorifying God, that's a good guess. Build up. build up, building, yeah, building up people. Okay, for the glory of God. So building people up. The second category of text is accountability. 
accountability. And the third category of texts is leadership. Okay? I think if you get these three categories of texts, you'll understand where the Bible teaches church membership. So number one, edification. Number two, accountability. Number three, leadership. Let's look at the first group of texts, accountability. Now, I have a lot of texts here. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. I'll read it to you. You can turn there if you want, but I'm going to go a little faster. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7 says this. Now, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God activates each gift in each person. A demonstrate of the Spirit is given to each person to produce what is beneficial. So what has God given to us, to each person in our church? A gift, a spiritual gift. The Holy Spirit has given every member a spiritual gift to exercise in the church to build up the church. Okay? Verse 12 of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians says this, For as the body is one and has many members, or many parts, and all the members are parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. That's why we call the church the body of Christ. And so what is the body made up of? Body parts, members. And if you read 1 Corinthians 12, some are the foot. Will the foot say to the eye, I don't need you, and you know, so on and so forth. In other words, we need each other. We're all different members or parts of the one body of Christ in the local church. Now you might say, well, that's the universal church, PJ. Uh, you don't exercise your spiritual gifts to the universal church. You build up a local church body. Secondly, the universal church body texts, like Ephesians 1, for example, Ephesians 2, and other texts like that, who's the head of the body? Christ is, right, in Ephesians 1. In 1 Corinthians 12, you could be part of the head of the body. You could be the eye or the ear. And so if you could be part of the head, that's not speaking of like Christ is not part of the eye. It's speaking of the fact that it's a local church and not a not the universal church. So the point is, there are different body parts, members of a church, and why are you given gifts? To do what with the body? Build it up. Use your spiritual gifts to build up the body. I'm not talking about build up the building or build up the programs. I'm talking about building up people, where people in your church feel like they love Jesus more because they, because they talk to you, where people feel like they trust Jesus more or they hate their sin more, or they're going to love other people better because they talk to you. Because they spent time with you. Because they related to you. That's what building up the body is. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, at the back of your Bible. This is one, one of the verses that you guys said. Let us consider one another how to stir each other up to love and good works. Not staying away from our meetings, as some habitually do. But encouraging each other all the more as you see the day drawing near. So part of encouraging your church family is not neglecting the meetings. It's discouraging when people neglect the meetings for um, not so good reasons. Now, of course, there's understandable reasons to neglect the meeting. We prayed for one of our brothers tonight who's sick, right? So you could neglect meetings for reasonable reasons, but when people miss for unreasonable reasons, that's discouraging. And your presence encourages the body. Your presence encourages the body. You're saying, I feel like I'm doing nothing at the church. Your being there is 50 or 60% of your encouragement just being there. And if you're there every week, like I'm speaking to the choir here in that sense, because the Sunday night group is usually the core of the church that's there every, you know, all the time. You're here all the time. And just know this, your presence is a gift 
to us. We talked about that last week. And your presence is an encouragement to the brothers and sisters here. So you might say, well, great, PJ, I don't have to say anything anymore because my presence is enough. No, it's not enough. It's good. I love it. But speak to each other. Share prayer requests with each other. Encourage each other. Uh, you know, share burdens together. That's, that's what we're here to do. Love requires, if you're going to love one another, you need to get together and build each other up. If you're still in Hebrews, Hebrews 3.12 says we're to encourage each other every day while it's still called today so that no one is hardened by sin's deceitfulness. That's Hebrews 3.13. Encourage each other every day as a church family. Because what hardens our heart? Sin. And sin is tricky. You know the, the frog in, in the kettle analogy? Right? You put a frog in a kettle that's already hot, and it, what? Jumps out. But you put a frog in a kettle, and you just slowly turn up the heat, and you've tricked it, and it is dinner. Right? You get to, you get to cook it and eat it. Now... And sin works not like a hot fire where there's a big glaring sign, sin, evil, Satan, right? When you sin, it looks like righteousness sometimes. It's tricky. And so how are we going to guard each other from getting so hard in our hearts that we actually turn away from Jesus? Encouraging each other every day, praying for each other, confronting each other on sin and encouraging each other towards righteousness. That is how you love each other. Okay, and so that's the first set of commands is building each other up. And I, you know, I would challenge you to reflect on this. I've reflected on this for my own life, even as I've thought through this area. I would say that the that the lion's share of my Christian growth, and I would say this for I would say any mature Christian. If you find a mature Christian and you ask them, where did most of your encouragement and strength, your spiritual strength to grow, come from? Your Bible knowledge, your repentance, your faith, your love. Where did you learn it? It's in the church. I could think back to names of people in my church. It's even names of people here right now in this church who have loved me and have helped me grow. Whether we're agreeing or disagreeing, there's been encouragement and there has been love. And that's what helps Christians grow. It's building each other up. If you find a Christian sharing life deeply even being vulnerable with other church members, I'll show you a Christian who's growing. If they're in a church where there's encouragement going on. Okay, so that's the first part. It's um, edify each other, edification. Now you might say, PJ, that's not local church argument. You could edify friends from another church, can't you? Isn't that true? Is it possible to encourage other Christians from other churches? Yes. So you're saying, PJ, that's not an argument for local church membership. That's still too broad. I agree. So let's take it to the second category. Not only edification, but accountability. Now, I want you to turn to these two texts. 1 Corinthians 5, and then next we'll look at Matthew 18. But look at 1 Corinthians 5 first. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. And really, this whole chapter has to do with it. We're not going to walk through the whole chapter, but we'll just pull some stuff out here. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. Here's what it says. Give you a little bit more time. I hear some pages turning still. Okay. 5.1. It is widely reported, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, that there is sexual immorality among you, and the kind of sexual immorality that is not even tolerated among the Gentiles. A man is living with his father's wife, and you are inflated with pride instead of filled with grief. 
so that he who has committed this act might be removed from among you or removed from your congregation. So here's a man in the local church committing immorality. It's public. It's known this man is living with his dad's wife, stepmom. Let's just hope it's the stepmom and not the biological mom, which is still a possibility if you're in an immoral, immoral relationship. But let's just hope it's stepmom here. Okay, so stepmom. What does Paul want, want them to do in verse 2? What, what should be done? Remove him from where? Remove him from among you. What, what does that mean? That means that there's membership. Why? Remove him from among you. So if you remove him from among you, there must be a you to remove him from. So the question is, who is the you? Who is the group of the you? You could say, well, it's just whoever's attending our church for six months or more. No. Because you could have Mormons attending our church for six months or more. We're not removing them, even though they have false teaching. So who is the you? Who is the church at Corinth? Who is First Southern Baptist Church of Bellflower? Who is this group that you would remove them from? In other words, you have to have a defined group of people, a you, to remove them from. Which means you need to have membership or at least some sort of mutually understood group of people to remove them from. So love requires that you have a defined group of people to remove the unrepentant sinner from. Now we could go on, but for the sake of time, you can read 1 Corinthians 5 for homework. Go to Matthew 18. Matthew chapter 18. We're doing our considering membership class on Sunday mornings, and we had a delightful time last Sunday talking about this text. It was really fun because uh, we're (laughs) we're talking to the class, and I said... If you see someone sinning, what do you do? And one of the people said, I don't do anything. I'll just go pray at home that they change. And then I was like, well, I think the Bible says more than that. And so we read verse 15. Look at verse 15 of Matthew 18. It says, if your brother sins against you, what should you do? If your brother sins against you, what should you do? Go and what? Rebuke him. Where? In private, one-on-one. Should you tell somebody else? If Al sins against me or Jim sins against me, should I just go tell Barbara and Jimmy? No. That's not what it says. Tell, them, tell who? Tell your brother or sister privately. If you tell other people, you know what we call that? Gossip. Slander. Sin. If somebody sins against you, you don't go to other people. That's sinning against Jesus. You go directly to the person... And you tell them that they've sinned against you. Now, what if that person's intimidating? What if that person's so stubborn that they won't listen? So in Sunday school class, I said, I said, you have to tell them. And they're like, what? No way, that's scary. Well, the Bible says you have to do it. And I said, well, what if they don't listen? And then this person said, well, then I just pray at home. <laughs> I'm like, no, read the next verse. What if they don't listen to the one person? Or it's still the same verse. Oh, no, if he listens, you've won your brother. Verse 16, but if he won't listen, what do you do next? Take one or two more with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. So now what do you do? Okay, so PG, I'm, I'm a brother in Christ. I sin against you. You confront me in my sin. I'm so stubborn. I'm so proud and arrogant. I refuse to listen to you. What do you do? You go take Jim and Al and you come back. Or two people. It doesn't have to be Jim and Al. It could be any two members of the church. And you come and say... Um, PJ, here's two people to witness our conversation. You sinned against me last week when you did such and such. 
If I listen, praise God, you've won, you've won me back. If I don't listen, what do you do? The Sunday school student said, I go home and pray. No, there's still more to do. What do you do if he doesn't listen there? Look at verse 17. If he pays no attention to the group, what do you do? Tell who? The church. Now, is that the universal church? Are you supposed to send an email and use Google Translate, translate in all the different languages and go tell everyone everywhere, post on social media, you know, spend some money on a billboard to put PJ has sinned against such and such and such and he refuses to repent? No, it's not telling the universal church, it's telling which church? The local church. In other words, there's church membership. Who is the local church? It's the people who have committed to each other in that church to obey and love each other in the Matthew 18 way. Okay? So you, so you tell on me to the church. We have a business meeting. Okay, we have a business meeting. Jim stands up and says, brothers and sisters, PJ has sinned against uh, Justin, Justin in this way. I come up, I try to give an explanation, and the church says, no, PJ, you're sinning, and you need to repent. I refuse to repent, so what does the church do? They try and plead with me to repent for months, a few weeks, months at a time. If I refuse to listen to all 74 members of First Southern Baptist Church of Bellflower... What should the church do? Excommunicate. It's a strong word. Verse 17. And you're right, but let's use the words of 17. Let's use the Bible's words first. If he pays no attention to them, tell the church. But if he doesn't pay attention even to the church, do what? Treat him like a what? A heathen, a non-believer, or a tax collector. In other words, you excommunicate. He's no longer part of the communion. You, have, you remove him from the church. Now, that doesn't mean physically. That doesn't mean I can't come to a Sunday gathering and hear God's word, though some might say that. What it means is that I'm no longer a member of the church. I'm no longer allowed to take communion. And the church is pleading with me, PJ, please stop. Now that's theoretical, but let's make this, let's, let me show you how this is serious. Let's say that it was adultery that I was committing. And I refused to repent. And the church did nothing. Some churches do nothing. They just kind of talk about the pastor and they just, he leaves and that's it. But let's say that the church does nothing and I just leave and run off with this other woman. And then my, my children grow up. I have five of them. Let's say my five kids grow up. You think they're going to love the church and love Christianity and love Jesus? No. Why? Because the church did nothing when my dad tore up my family. They just talked about him behind his back and they never, they never confronted him. Christianity is a weak. It's weak. It does no, it does no good. I grew up with bitter children who are bitter towards Jesus because the church didn't do what they're to do. But now let's flip this. Let's, let's change the scenario. What if the church obeys this? What if the church pursues me and pleads with me to repent and I get restored? Do you think that's a testimony to my kids? Oh yeah. But let's say I refuse to repent and the church excommunicates me. Is that not still a testimony to my kids that the church has acted courageously and boldly to try to save my family and my marriage? In other words, I need the church to excommunicate me. I want the church. And God forbid I do that. I'm not saying I'm doing that. But, God, but if I did, if sin hardened my heart so bad that I was just so hard and I refused to listen to any of you, I would want you, I'm saying this as I have a clear mind now, I would want you in a public church business meeting to excommunicate me. And I would want my children to know that I'm being excommunicated. Because that's what Jesus says. And now why excommunicate me? Because you're mad at me and you don't like me anymore? 
No. What's the whole goal of that? To what? Restore the brother, right? To bring him back. That's the last ditch effort to say, please come back. All of this assumes what? Church membership. Accountability. You don't just sign up and do whatever you want. And I say, the church has no right to tell me what to do. I volunteer to join this church. I volunteer to leave this church. No. Do you know that when... And this was a, this, this was a question in the, in the Q&A during the pastoral um, gathering last week as well. Because I said, you know, it's not an individual's decision to leave a church. Did you know that? Is it an individual's decision to join the church? Is it only the individual's decision to join the church? We just took in a member this morning. Was it only Sally's decision? Or did we make a decision as well? We did too, right? If she just says, I'm a member of this church, I don't care what anyone says. No, our church has to affirm them, right? It's a dual decision from both sides. What about when you leave the church? Same thing. It's not a singular decision to join. It's not a singular decision to leave either. In a healthy church, you're, it's, it's, it's a joint decision. We actually have Justin and Jennifer here. They're members of our church. During our prayer time, we're praying for them because they're going to join Chris, Christian or Christ. Christian Bible Fellowship, Christian Bible Fellowship in Temple City. So they're going to transfer their membership. That's how it's supposed to be done. They tell us, we pray for them, our business meeting next week, we bring up their names in the church, we, we vote on them, whether to remove them from our role and transfer them and write a letter as they transfer to another Baptist church. That's how it's supposed to be done. It's not just their decision to leave. It's the churches. There's accountability here, right? Now somebody, but I'm going to say no, I don't want Justin to leave. Well... You know, we got to be biblical. I know we love them, but we have to trust God. If God's sending them there, right? We got we got to do it. But but that's just part of the you know loving church family, being accountable to each other. Okay, all that to say, because of edification, because of accountability, you need church membership. If you don't have church membership, you can't do any of this, right? Now, last one, last category. Turn to Hebrews thirteen. Leadership. So we talked about. Edification, we talked about accountability, now let's talk about leadership. Last category, leadership. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13, 7 says this. Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you. As you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. So who are you to remember here? Leaders. So who are your leaders if you're a Christian? The leaders of your church. If you're not a member of a church, who are your leaders? Um, my favorite, or Billy Graham is my leader. You know, you just pick a famous Christian pastor. John MacArthur is my leader. Or, you know, um, Ronnie Floyd, our president of the Southern Baptist Convention, he's my leader. Really? Does he know he's your leader? You know, so... It's not just whoever you choose, it's the member, it's the church you're a part of, that you formally joined. What does Hebrews 13, 17 say? What's the command in Hebrews 13, 17? Obey your leaders. That doesn't sound very American in some ways, but it's biblical. Obey your leaders and what? Submit to them. Obey your leaders and submit to them. If you're not a member of a church, do the leaders know that you're submitting to their leadership? They can't if you're not there. So obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. We talked about that last Sunday. Pastors have to give an account to God for the souls under their care, for their membership. So you need to have leaders, and you have to know that they're your leaders, and the leaders have to know that you're, that you're part of the congregation. 
In 1 Timothy 3, 1 and 2, in Titus chapter 1, there's qualifications for the elder or the overseer or the pastor. And then in 1 Timothy 3, there's qualifications for the deacons. That's for the local church. If you're saying, I don't need to be part of a church. Well, do you need to obey Hebrews 13? Do you need to obey 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 and have leaders that are qualified? If you do, then you need to be part of a church. You need to be a member of a church. Attending is not enough. That's not membership by itself. Okay, so here's what membership is. Let me pull it all together from these three categories. Edification, accountability, leadership. Here's the point. So let's say this is you. Okay, here's you. Here's the leaders, pastors and deacons right here. Here's the rest of the 74 members of the church. Between you and the other 73 members, between you and the leadership, and between the leadership and the congregation, there is a mutually understood relationship between all three. The leaders know that you're their leader. You know that they're your leaders. The congregation knows that the leaders are leading them. The leaders know who the congregation is. And between the congregation and you individually, you know that you're responsible for everyone. And everyone knows that they are responsible for you. Membership is a mutually understood accountability and relationship. And if someone says, well, I'm a member of the church, even if the church doesn't know it, that's not mutually understood, right? That's why we have a member's list. It's not because we like lists, you know, it's actually, actually the list right now, it's so long, it's a pain in one sense, but the list is a mutually understood way of communicating who are we accountable for, who are we responsible for. And so this is what we need as Christians. If we're going to love one another, we need to build each other up. If we're going to love one another, we need to hold each other accountable and correct each other in sin and restore each other in repentance. And if we're to love one another, then we need to submit to and encourage and strengthen our leadership and pray that God raises up more leadership in our churches. Another question that came up in our Sunday school this morning. I think I'm going to have to preach a a sermon like this in the Sunday morning for the rest of the congregation at some point before the end of this year. But um, a question came up in the Sunday school class this morning as well. What if I'm a member of another church and my membership is there and not here or wherever I attend? And I said, well, can you really obey all of these commands with that membership, with that congregation, if you're never there? I mean, if your spiritual gifts are to build them up, if you're supposed to remove people from among them and you're never there, if the leaders that you're supposed to be supporting, you're never there, and then you're over here all the time, but you're not supporting the leadership and the the congregation here, you're kind of just, membership becomes sort of a tradition now. It's not really biblically functioning the way it's supposed to function. And so what we want to encourage in this church is if you're not a Christian, we want to tell you about Jesus and the gospel, right? That's our main message to you. If you're a Christian, we want to say, um, if you're a Christian visiting, we want to say, take whatever encouragement you have here and take it back to your home church. If you say, I don't have a local church, then we want to say, well, consider joining here or consider joining another church where you can commit to them so that you can do all that Jesus commands. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And Matthew 18 is part of his commandments. 1 Corinthians 5, Hebrews 13, these are his commandments. And we want every Christian to love Jesus well, right? So we want them to join a church even if it's not our own. So if we transfer people out, we're just happy that they're obeying Jesus. Because it's not finally about our local church, it's about the glory of who? Of of Christ Jesus, right? And we will be a church that's faithful to glorifying him in that way. All right. Well, I'm done. Before I close in prayer, it's 5.51. Uh, let's take five, four or five more minutes. Any questions you guys have?
It's a smaller group here, so just any thoughts, comments, or questions that I could we could answer or discuss here? I hope that before you guys barely had any Bible texts. Hopefully now you have some Bible texts where you can point people to if they're thinking about church membership. Any questions, comments, thoughts? Dad. Remember, to, to, to get someone, yeah, yes, until the church decides. To, for someone to join the church, it's a church decision, as well as the individual. For someone to leave, it's a church decision as well. So if someone doesn't attend for a long time, we bring it to the church. And we tell the church, brothers and sisters, we have a responsibility to, to Fred. And he hasn't been here for six months or eight months, so let's try to call him. Because it's not just the pastor's job, it is the pastor's job, but all the congregation has a responsibility to this member. So we, we don't... We don't just take them off. We tell the congregation, we have a responsibility as a church to care for our members. So all of us, so we need to go find out what's going on. And that's why we would assign people to call on the phone to get in touch. So that's, that would be the next step, is try your hardest to get in touch with them. Jerry? First thing, the Holy Spirit has to be there. Yes. Yes. It's not our do it, it's the Holy Spirit's do it. Then they have to be willing to accept what the Holy Spirit is leading them to do. Right. And then we have to follow the Holy Spirit in taking them in as a member. Well, yeah, if they walk down, you're not going to tell them that they can't be a member. You might. I doubt that. Yeah, but you might. We have a responsibility. It, what, if they're, what if they're Mormon? What if they don't believe the gospel? We're going to take them in anyways? No. Right. I understand that. and But if you miss that, then you could still say no after. Well, that, that shouldn't happen. Though. It shouldn't, but it, it does happen in churches. You should question them when they come forward sure. and ask them before he presents them. That's true, and that's how it should be done, and pastors can still miss things at times. And I've seen a church where they have missed it. Well, they shouldn't miss that. Yeah, they shouldn't, but they do, because we're humans. That's why, that's why the pastor doesn't make the final decision. The church does. That's why I ask when I bring someone up, does anyone have questions? Because I could be missing something that one of the other members sees. But yeah, you're right. The Holy Spirit is behind it all. But we still have to follow the Holy Spirit as a church as well to make a decision. Yeah. yeah. We've got to let the Holy Spirit do it. It's right. Our, we don't do it. No, we do something. We vote by the Holy Spirit's leading. The Holy Spirit might, might lead some of us to vote. Right. Right. But let's say when they do walk forward, the Holy Spirit might lead us to say no if we find a reason why that the person's mistaken. Everyone who walks down the aisle. I don't have any with that. Okay. Oh yeah. Initially, yes, I agree with you there. Yeah, for sure. Good. Other questions, comments, thoughts? That's true. The Holy Spirit does. What else? Thought, comment, question. Let's get one or two more before we close in prayer. Francis.
part of what you do is you an interview with them, which is right. um, helpful. Right. Well, we don't know how they did it before. In terms of the interview or something like that? No, no, no. Like what they did before was just let anyone walk up, right? No, I don't know. We weren't. No, they wouldn't do that. That's that's an assumption on your part. I don't know if you. I don't know if you're safe to assume that. Oh, that's not. Jim says no. I wasn't here. So, yeah, it was personal classes then. So personal meetings. Right. Yeah. That's a caricature. Yeah. Jerry. Was that the church? Was that a church revival, or was it like a more like a interchurch revival, like a Billy Graham type thing? Or no, it was my church. I went to our church in Burns. Okay. And we were meeting in the, we were having a revival at the school. Okay. Before our yeah. Out. Well, and so that right, but you're you're saying that the pastor would still interview them there in the front. Yeah. So there's still an interview. Okay. Yeah, so it's the same thing whether you're interviewing there in front or not. Vicky and then Barbara. Right. Okay. Sure. Right. And that's essentially the same thing, just in a little bit different order. Vicky and then Barbara. Yeah. 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 Yeah, because Jerry is also talking about conversion in that. Barbara, Rock, give it to Mrs. Barbara, please. And the church wouldn't vote on him, on them right there the first time? Yeah, okay. Yeah, you know, you know how old churches did it in the 16 and 1700s, as John Lee and I have been reading in Baptist polity. They would have the whole church interview them. Actually, you'd have a you'd have a what they would call a, a conference meeting, and all the new members would meet in front of the whole church, and everyone would ask them questions. So it wasn't a pastor; it was the whole church. Now that doesn't mean you have to do it that way. All that to say that the, not only does the individual have to follow the Holy Spirit, the church and the pastors have to follow the Holy Spirit too. And it doesn't just take one person's following the Holy Spirit. It takes both to to make that, as far as a church, taking someone in. Okay, well, I like the discussion. This is good because after you preach, it's good to hear what you're thinking on these things. Because we want, we want to not only think about it, we want to practice it well, right? We want to be faithful to God. And so we want to do it well as a church. And so um, we'll, we'll close here. For those who want to leave after this, we'll stay here to pray. Some of us are going to be praying for Justin, Jennifer. 
as they are sent on their way. They're going to give us a little report, and then we'll spend time in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that as we move from this time to now our prayer time that you would help us to glorify you in prayer, help us to be an encouragement and be encouraged by Justin and Jennifer. And we pray, Father, that you would help us as a church family to think biblically about what it means to be members of a church and how to practice it, not just according to our personal experiences or traditions, but according to your Bible ultimately. We love you. We thank you that we could think through it together and that we make decisions together as a church following your Holy Spirit according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.